0: Today we're going to talk about business and the economic health of the country but I repeat myself while big business gets the headlines small business remains the backbone of the country in the US 99.9% of all businesses are small businesses that is businesses with less than 500 employees and 68% of those are real estate specifically rentals and leasing it's been a rough year for small business but especially With the American entrepreneur, hope springs eternal. The worst is behind us, right? Lockdowns, Mm -hmm. mandates, essential, words that broke the back of many entrepreneurs and created the truest and most unprecedented disparate impact on businesses and workers and record-breaking metrics that we hope to never see again. More money is the federal rallying cry as businesses continue to pick up the pieces From the sudden impact of lockdowns. And here we are. Forget the Laffer curve or principles of economics. We're left to navigate the next new normal of taxes, policy, and regulatory hurdles. Here to help us sort through it all and someone who knows a lot about the intersection of taxes and enterprise is James D. Martinko, managing partner of Cone Resnick out of Bethesda, Maryland, one of the largest accounting firms Cone Resnick is over a century old and has offices in more than 25 cities. Jim is expert in both market rate and affordable, and is fluent in multiple languages, including HUD, government auditing, and LIHTC. Jim, what perfect timing to have you on the show.
1: Wow, um, uh, thank you for that uh, introduction, and um, I'm honored to be here, thank you.
0: President Biden's tax plan drastically scales back the 1031 exchange. This, of course, is the tax policy that allows deferral of capital gains on real estate. It's not available for most other investment asset classes. Why are real estate gains different? Uh,
1: you know, so the, the, the law as it stands now has been around since 1921. And this isn't the first time uh, that, that it's been challenged. Uh, and in, in fact, there are many benefits. Uh, with, with the program, which is primarily the reason why it's uh, withstood so, so many programs. So here, here are a couple benefits. So, so first, it allows someone who, who owns a piece of real estate, instead of having to sell it, they can pivot to another asset class. They could pivot to something that's a little bit more stable, maybe even in another location, a geographic location uh, across the country. And, and the 1031, because it doesn't require any payment of income tax when they do the sale, it increases the amount of investment that a taxpayer can have in their replacement property. So, uh, you could see somebody selling, going from a Class A property, taking all of those proceeds and maybe reinvesting them in a Class B or Class C, something that might be uh, underutilized in a community that, that needs some revitalization. Uh, so, that's that's one of the reasons why it, it it's been successful, and and another reason is it helps the little guy. You were, you were talking in your, in your intro about small business. Uh, the, the 1031 has, has been a program that the small investor has been able to take advantage of. So it's not only a, a benefit to the, to the wealthy, but also the smaller, less capitalized investor has been able to take advantage of that program.
0: President Biden has also proposed significant increases to corporate and capital gains tax rates. How would you expect the commercial real estate market in general and the multi-housing market, in particular, to be impacted if these changes are implemented.
1: So, so, so this is a this is a big part of all of the discussion uh, that, that that's going on uh, uh, right now, and it'll be interesting to see where uh, where where all of this falls out. So, so, so currently, the uh, capital gain tax rate for, for long-term assets is is uh, generally twenty percent. And what the proposal is, is it's uh, uh, suggesting to increase that to 39, uh, over 39%, which effectively is going to, for the higher income taxpayers, which effectively is going to eliminate any difference between the rates on ordinary income uh, and capital gain. And, and, and capital gain taxes were lower because the thought is that we want to promote or encourage uh, investment. So, increasing those taxes to the, to the higher rate, uh, it eliminates, uh, that incentive. And, and in particular for the multifamily industry, now, obviously these, these taxes are only going to be, uh, uh, you're only going to incur these taxes when you sell, right? So it doesn't, it doesn't impact the, uh, there, there's also proposals that are going to increase the, uh, ordinary income rates, the highest rate, a, a, a couple of points, uh, But, you know, so the impact to to multifamily is with with higher rates, there's going to be less of an incentive to invest in construction. Uh, It could impact or most likely impact the deal flow that that we see. And unfortunately, a, a lot of this might flow down to the tenants of the properties in the form of increased rents. So there's many different pieces of the uh, additional taxes uh, uh, imposed. Uh, something that that's popular in our industry is carried interest, and carried interest uh, was a capital gain if you if you held the property for more than three years, uh, more than one year, if it's a 1231 gain. But all of that goes away with this new legislation, and the the the, the fear is that it's really going to impact. Uh, the The ability or the willingness of a, of a developer or an investor and an investor to take the risk without seeing some benefit in the form of lower income taxes.
0: So I have to ask you have a a pretty good seat um, with regard to view of the industry. What do you think the chances are the, that this will happen?
1: So that's an interesting question. Uh, uh, there are. Uh, 14 Democratic seats up for re-election in 2022. Uh, the government has the ability to use budget reconciliation to get uh, all of these bills passed. And again, there's, there's, there's two bills that are being promoted or proposed that uh, solve a lot of infrastructure problems and a lot of social issues that, that people have been talking about. Um, but the, uh, it, it will take a lot of compromise and we'll we'll learn a little bit more later on this week, or, or maybe sometime soon. Uh, President Biden will issue his 2022 budget plan, and more details will, will come in a Treasury uh, a green book. So, um, we at, at Cone Resnick we see uh, some compromise being made on the capital gain uh, uh, taxes from a high of 39.6. We see that coming down to a 28% rate. Uh, there's a proposal to increase the corporate tax uh, currently at, at 21% up to 28%. We, we, we see that coming back down somewhere in the uh, in the 25% range. Uh, we do see taxes on uh, uh, higher-income individuals uh, going up. Uh, so there's plenty of, of, of planning that, that we want to take advantage of. Uh, as far as timing, um, we, we see something uh, uh, being rolled out in the last quarter of 2021, uh, with the date of enactment being no sooner than than January 1st of of 2022. Past history has shown us that when there's a proposal to increase capital gain rates, they allow a window of of time to pass for uh, the taxpayer to plan and more important for the government to allow a window for taxpayers to uh, sell the property and and have the, the government uh, collect uh, all of that, all of that uh, additional uh, revenue. Uh, so it could be uh, you don't want to raise income tax in an unstable economy. So if the economy does not continue to stabilize and expand, the rate increases that that I discussed may not go uh, uh, into effect in 2022. It might be pushed back uh, even farther. Uh, but as with any uh, legislation, sometimes there's hidden details. That are surprises, sometimes unpleasant, that that that, that come out in, in the final uh, final plan. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what's in his final plan.
0: Absolutely, and certainly the best outcome is um, is a lift to the economy, not a abridgment. That's correct. Lytech has has been a major source of funding for affordable housing since its creation in 1986. But it's complicated. Since credits are sold at discounts, it provides less of a subsidy than would a direct allocation of federal funds. Why not replace LIHTC with a direct federal subsidy for affordable?
1: Um, so the, the the LIHTC program may be complicated, but it is one of the most successful, one of the most long lasting housing programs that the country Uh, Has had. Let let me give you a a couple of statistics. Since 1986, you mentioned that's when the when the program was was enacted. Uh, It's developed 3.2 million apartments for uh, families, veterans, people with disabilities. 7.4 million families to date. Uh, are now living in safe and affordable housing because of the LIHTC program. And the LIHTC program is one of the first and most successful public-private partnerships that this country has has ever had, has ever seen. And you're seeing a lot more public-private partnerships going on in, with infrastructure uh, by way of example. So, so last year alone, there was uh, 18. Point, uh, a little over $18 billion of equity invested in low-income housing. Uh, that, that's a substantial uh, uh, amount of, of investment. And so uh, a couple of things about the program. People say it's too expensive. Well, one of the reasons why it, it's so expensive is the properties are built to last. They, they use new technologies to, uh, to enable a property to be sustainable, uh, uh, water and energy efficient. Uh, a lot of upfront time and, and cost goes into construction and uh, design because these are built for a long-term solution. The, the holding period for these assets is at least 15 years, plus you have uh, extended use requirements uh, on, on the back end. Uh, so they, they are expensive, but uh, it's intentional that it's expensive because again, they're, they're built for uh, they're, they're, they're built for the long term. Uh, unlike market rate housing, there aren't any studio apartments in, in low-income housing so that that's another reason that the unit sizes are, are bigger there, there's typically community space uh, learning centers uh, community areas that are that are built in to these properties which uh, increase the uh, the cost of construction and so that there's a bunch of layers of, of financing and and that uh, increases the cost but you know, at the end of the day, the, the yield that a tax credit investor receives for its investment in a low-income housing property is about 5%, and that's not an unreasonable return at all for the development risks that, that they take. So uh, uh, our, our firm is, has been a proponent of, the, of this program since its, since its inception in, in 1986, and uh, we don't believe that, that any other program will uh, will be as successful uh, as this one has and has has or with the track record uh, that that it has it allows uh, the the flexibility it's a it's a federal program but the money is distributed to the states and the states decide where it wants to invest that as an example the the housing in Maryland might have different issues that they want to solve than the housing in California so it's a it's a uh, it's teaming the federal government, with the tax incentives, with the oversight and expertise that the investor and the development community have. Very successful.
0: The $18 billion is compelling. The localization of decision-making is um, absolutely necessary. I can't help but think back to uh, Pruitt-Igo in the 60s that had a lifespan of 12 years before it was raised. So cost is a little more than, uh, as you mentioned, the investment coming in is critical to the the lifespan of the property.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And it's you know again, it's uh, the 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 problem with some of the programs in the past is that the government threw a lot of money at the problem, and then didn't pay attention to its investment over a period of time. So the properties became neglected, and uh, maintenance was 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 deferred and. Uh, they just don't have the expertise to be real estate developers.
0: Well said, very well said. Another government uh, program, Opportunity Zones, were introduced in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, Act of 2017. How successful have they been in directing investment to low-income areas?
1: So uh, this was uh, one of the more complicated uh, pieces of legislation uh, that that came out. the the, the final regs were uh, were issued sometime I think in 2019, and everyone thought 2020 was going to be a banner year for investment, and then COVID happened, right? So uh, one of the uh, one of the problems with the program is it wasn't very specific on reporting, so it's it was hard to determine how successful the Opportunity Zone program uh, has been. But uh, in in a recent report uh, uh, that was issued by the nonpartisan Joint Committee on on Taxation, it found that of the $24 billion of investments in Opportunity Zone uh, properties in in 2019, substantially all of it uh, went into low income communities or the communities that were adjacent to the uh, uh, low income communities. Uh, so, with that respect, it's been very effective with getting uh, having these uh, deferred capital gains rolled into uh, distressed neighborhoods. Uh, there's 8,700 8, census tracts right now across the country. So, uh, there has been some success in getting a substantial money uh, invested in, in low-income communities. Uh, the problem so far, not only with the reporting. Uh, but it's kind of the 80, 20 rule as, as, as we, as I like to refer it, 80% of the investment has gone into 20% of the property. So it's not consistent across the country. A lot on the coasts has, has been developed, but, uh, where investment might be the most needed, hasn't seen the, the type of invested investment activity that the program would have, uh, would have wanted, uh, uh to see. And, uh, So it's the reporting, not necessarily getting all of the investment to the lowest or the most, the the communities most in need. And there has been some gentrification of the communities where the investments has been made. So those are some of the things that the administration is is trying to figure out. I I think that the program will continue. uh, And there are some some changes which are being uh, proposed that might help solve some of these other problems.
0: Tell us a little bit about those changes. What do you, what do you expect under, under President Biden?
1: So the, there, there's a couple of things that, that are proposed. Uh, one is in the way of, of reporting so the investments can be tracked uh, a, a little better. Uh, another, uh, another idea which is easy to, to measure or monitor is having the uh, entity or, or, or the fund be required to show teaming with a community organization where the the property uh, it, it is being built uh, the, the the other one is a, a score to prove that the community where you're developing is improving and that's that's a little harder to measure I, I understand the intent uh, but that's that's a little harder to, to measure than than the other one uh, all of the investments that we've seen uh, thus far um, I, I mentioned 80 20 of the of the 80. Uh, most of those have been in multifamily, uh, mixed use multifamily specifically with an affordable uh, component. Uh, so depending upon where that, uh, where that property is, is located, there are some teaming with local organizations and, and such that would continue that, that kind of, of profile to take advantage of the benefits under the Oz program.
0: Excellent, that would be very very much needed. Yes, I agree. Well, I could go on forever, but that's all the time we have today. And I do appreciate you joining us, Jim. We hope you'll come back. This is a topic critical to our economy and a, certainly a moving target in the days ahead.
1: And it's it's very sensitive. As you mentioned, it, it is a very timely uh, discussion. And uh, we, we look forward to, to seeing what our, our, our president rolls out and, of course, uh, uh, helping uh our clients and our colleagues navigate through through all the changes. That's that's what's that's what's kept me in the business for, for over thirty years. I, I I love helping people, and uh, helping uh, their companies grow and and prosper. So that's that's what we're all about.
0: And we need those services. We need the guy across the the desk saying, "Okay, I'll relook at the tax return." <laughs>
1: yes, yes, exactly. Yes. I'll thanks for
0: coming on the show.
1: Okay. Thanks again. it's a, it's a pleasure.
0: Taxes, economics, politics, they hold the keys that unlock the breath of freedom. And of course, having a really good accountant helps a lot. Jim, thank you for helping businesses find their way through the forest in all manners of economy. And thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and look forward to the next exciting episode of NAHB Power Hitters.